Hi, this is Gary York, founder of GGG Ministry. For the past nine years, my wife Gail and I have been hosting tent revivals in Waterman, Illinois, where the body of believers can come and encounter the presence of God and are encouraged to go out and minister to the world around them. We hope you enjoy this short message from our recent gathering this summer. For more on GGG, connect with us on our website, gggministry.com. Now sit back and enjoy. All right, you can sit down. My gosh. I used to make fun of Gary for crying all the time. And now I can't stop. Can you lift your hands just right in your seat? Jesus, it's you. It's you that we long for. It's you that we love. Your presence, Jesus, is all that we want tonight. We want to get engulfed. We want to get enraptured. We're not waiting for you to rescue us. We want you, Jesus, to come in and and we're saying thank you that you already have. So Lord, come with power. Heal the sick. God, I pray that those that are believing for children to come home, Lord, I thank you that you go through them tonight and you get to their kids. Father, I thank you that you pour out yourself in movements like this. God, I thank you for Gary and Gail, God, and the apostolic anointing that's on their life. I thank you, God, that in times past, revival has been an announcement that the end is near. But now, what it's always been is revival is an announcement that the kingdom is here. And we say tonight, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, God, in this place, in this tent, as it is in heaven, God. I thank you that not one leave sick, that not one leave bound. Lord, we love when you heal, but I thank you that you're raising a generation that just can't get sick, a people that really believe you, Jesus, a people that really believe you, Jesus, that you've given us all things pertaining to life and to godliness. So come with your power, Lord. We welcome you precious spirit in Jesus name and everybody said amen amen thanks guys appreciate it you guys are good okay it's nine o'clock but you got nowhere else to go half of you are sleeping here so you know I, I dream of the days you know we're doing this church together and you know what would it be like if church just wasn't this like Sunday morning Wednesday night 20 bucks Christianity thing But what if we followed the cloud to such a degree that we just had service when he said, we were with our families when he said, we had prayer meetings and nights like this where we just fell asleep in his presence and woke up to the sun coming up. Like the Lord wants to do a new thing. Everyone say new thing. The thing about the new thing is, is like we all ask God to do a new thing. And then when he does, we go, whoa, 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 I don't like change. And nothing about the new thing can look anything like the old thing or it's not a new thing. And so tonight, I love what Sean said. Like, I'm not coming to feed you with a spoon. There's a time for that. But I, I, 
You know, how many of you know that this word is a sword? And it separates soul from spirit. It divides spirit and truth, and it rightly separates it unto us. So uh, I'm feeling a bit feisty tonight, and I just want to set this disclaimer. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm not mad at the church. I'm just passionate about seeing real revival, like not just where God just comes and like dusts us off and refurbish us because none of you are refurbished. God kills you, crucifies you, and then raises you up again. God didn't come to make bad people good, but dead people alive. Okay. And and so that process of God crucify us sometimes is not the most amazing. But how many of you know when he died, you died. When he was crucified, you were crucified. This is all in scripture. When he was buried, you were buried. When he was quickened, you were quickened. When he was raised, you were raised. When he was seated in heavenly places, you were seated with him. And here's the thing. You didn't do anything to earn it. So we might as well get a passionate for the gospel again. And I want to talk to you about getting back to original covenant. Can you guys open your Bibles with me to 1 Chronicles? Chapter 29, and I'm going to read through a little bit. before I do, I just, I want to say this because I want to make this statement before we go into this. We've seen moves of God. We read in history about revivals that have happened and they've been amazing. And, you know, you read about Azusa Street. I think the last time I was here, I just, I talked about revival history and I love what God has done. But how many of you like, I want to see what happened in the book of Acts, but I don't want to go backwards. Like, I want to know, God, what is it that you want to do right now? And I don't want to talk about just raising the dead, and I don't want to just talk about the Smith Wigglesworth testimonies. No, 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 I want want this generation to step into it. I don't want to just talk about dead preachers. We honor them, and we love them, but God is raising something new, and, and it's fully dependent on this whole thing is about a king and his kingdom. And how many of you know you are that domain? Are you guys still awake? Okay. The whole thing is about a king and his kingdom. And so in all of the moves of God, as amazing as they've all been, they've ended. And yes, they've touched people. Yes, you know, William Seymour in the house in Azusa Street, it says that 600 million people could tie their roots back to that house on Azusa Street. One man rejected, one man had a desire to hear about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in tongues, found the only church he could find, and it was a white preacher that told him he wasn't allowed in. And rather than being offended and holding a sign up outside, he waited in the hallway and took notes from a man that rejected him. Just go and study it on your own time. And then he gets invited to a church, and he preaches on the baptism of of the Holy Spirit and fire and tongues, and he gets kicked out of that church. But he hit one person, and one person invites him over. They have prayer meetings. They shout for three days and three nights. The foundation of that house actually gave in. Miracle signs and wonders are happening, and what started with rejection turned into revival. And one man that humbled himself to say, it doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter how they come against me. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to receive from somebody that rejected me, just like Jesus, rejected by men, yet chosen by God. And 600 million people can tie their roots to that house. Because one man was willing to say, it's not about me. So we value those moves 
but we have yet to see something, and I'm talking about a corporate move of God that passes on to successive generations. And I don't know if you can tell, but there's a theme here at this tent meeting that is God wants to do something generationally. You know, we, we love the nations, and we've got to go to the nations, but if you really begin to study Scripture, God is generational before he sends you to nations. And we get prophecy after prophecy after prophecy of I'm going to go to nations and I'm going to go to nations like growing up, Benny Hinn's nephew, everyone prophesies over you. You're going to go to nations. And I believe it and praise God. And we have, and it's, and it's powerful. But until God can trust you in the borders of your living room with your family, why would he ever trust you with a nation? By the way, I'm so amazed and happy that my beautiful wife and my son are here. He's going to help me pray for people at the end. He's got an anointing on his life, my little four-year-old. I often say I have a dream of being asked into a parent-teacher conference because my son was casting out devils in elementary. Again, generational. And so when Sean was preaching last night, I was, I wanted to talk about King Hezekiah and it's so amazing how God is lining it up because God is trying to speak something to us and and in moments like this, like I, I have to say, I want to dig a well for my son. And we have failed to see revivals pass from, from one generation onto another generation because men love to take the identity of the move of God. And there's a circle that's more significant than yours, and it's called the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you've been invited into that circle. And what God is wanting to do is establish his kingdom in the earth. And what it's going to take is like the psalmist said, one generation praising the acts of God unto another. Until the kingdoms of this world, like it says in Revelation 11, the kingdoms of this world, the angels will cry that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our God and his Christ. So while the church is going, man, it's getting darker, we're going to get out of here soon, God's raising a remnant that's going to shine with his glory. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Deep darkness is going to cover the earth. If you're confused about darkness, I promise you, it's going to get darker, but you're just going to get brighter. You're going to be easier to see. And we go into rooms and we scream at the darkness, but God's saying, just turn the lights on. He promised us as the waters cover the sea, so will the knowledge. Everyone say knowledge. So will the knowledge of the glory of God fill the earth. Our outcome is very good. There's a feast that's going to take place it's a wedding feast for a bride that has made herself ready. Not a scared, afraid bride, but a bride that's saying, we don't want church as normal. A bride that's saying, we don't just want old moves. God, we want you to come with such power that the government goes, that's the kingdom of God right there. Okay, I'm going to try to do this quick because I want to pray. But we have seen revivals end because men have taken identity of it. And God is going to purify a generation. And he's going to start with the leaders. He's going to start with the priesthood. I always say if God was to show up right now, the first place he cleanses the pulpit. And we can really talk like this because we're not at church tonight. We're inside of a tent with grass. So we're just going to go for it, okay? But you see, 
Even Zacharias's, John the Baptist's father. Anyone ever read about John the Baptist's father in the chapter in Luke? His father went mute and couldn't speak before John the Baptist was born. And as John the Baptist develops in the womb, he gets to this point where he comes out and Mary wants to name him John. And this wasn't just like any random person being born. No, no, no. He had a lineage and the whole city knew about it. And so John the Baptist is born. The father can't speak. And in that culture, you always name the firstborn after the father, always. But John is born and they hand him a tablet to write on because he can't talk. And he writes on it, his name is John. And his mouth is loosened and he begins to prophesy. And I've heard it said that Zacharias passed the test of not naming what he carried after himself. Zacharias passed the test of not naming what he carried after himself. Because I'm not interested tonight in having a visitation. I want God to inhabit a people where our visitation becomes a way of life for us. We don't need any more meetings. We need him. Are you with me? Okay. I'm going to just jump around in, in, I'm sorry, I said First Chronicles. I meant Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 29. And you can do your best to follow along. Starting in verse 1, Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. Jumping to verse 2, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. I love 2 Kings 18, 6 says that he clung to the Lord and reminded God of David. Hezekiah. Verse 3, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Then he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square and said to them, Hear me, Levites. Now sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord God your fathers, and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of our Lord God. They have forsaken him. They have turned their faces from the dwelling place of the Lord and turned their backs on him. They have also shut up the doors of the vestibule, put out the lamps, and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Now I'm jumping to verse 10. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant. Everyone say covenant. A covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, do not neglect now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, that you should minister to him, and burn incense. And then I love this because this is what God's beckoning us into tonight. Then the Levites arose. Tonight I'm, I'm asking God that the Levites arise. Verse 15, and they gathered their brethren, sanctified themselves, and went according to the commandment of the king at the words of the Lord. Then, the, then they cleansed the house of the Lord. Then the priests went into the inner part of the house to cleanse it, and listen to this, brought out all the debris that they found in the temple to the court of the house of the Lord. So they took debris out of the holy place. Debris is anything that's been added. Then the Levites took it out and carried it to the brook of Gedron. 
Then jumping to verse 19, middle of verse 19, it says, and we have, they said this, we have prepared and sanctified, and there they are before the altar of the Lord. Now I'm going to jump to verse 25. Just stick with me. I'm just going to read a little bit more. And he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with string instruments, with harps. Jumping to verse 26, the Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests with their trumpets. So they got out the old instruments. So remember, you know, Sean's talking about he, you know, the son Isaac, he went and dug ancient wells that had debris on top of them. Well, here they went back and they got the old instruments of David out again. And they start to worship with those old ancient instruments that, that David so moved God's heart with when he would worship. Verse 28, so all the assembly worshiped, the singers sang, the trumpeters sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And then between verse 29 and verse 33, basically what's happening is the whole assembly begins to bring burnt offerings and sacrifices, but there's not enough priests to keep up. So stick with me. The whole assembly becomes convicted and moved, and they begin to bring the burnt offerings and sacrifices, but there's not enough priests. Then you get to verse 34. It says, but the priests were too few so that they could not skin all of the burnt offerings. Therefore, their brethren, the Levites, helped them until the work was ended and until the other priests had sanctified themselves. So listen, they weren't purifying themselves quick enough to keep up with the demands of the people. Then you get down to verse 35. So the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. Then Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced that God had prepared the people since the events took place so suddenly and then you continue on and they they decided now keep now let me bring you into this picture okay in the times of king hezekiah they were no longer doing honoring feasts like passover in the time of king hezekiah they weren't doing what they were supposed to do with their burnt offerings and sacrifices they weren't keeping according to the law so king hezekiah now it so much so that debris had developed in the holy place. So much so that they weren't keeping the feast and Hezekiah shows up on the scene and in chapter 50, he says, we need to keep the feast of Passover. It says, for the king and his leaders and all the assembly in Jerusalem had agreed to keep the Passover, but they had to do it in the second month. Just stay with me. For they could not keep it at the regular time because there wasn't a sufficient number of priests that had purified themselves. So they delayed the prescribed time of God because there wasn't enough purity in the priesthood. There wasn't a sufficient number that had consecrated themselves, nor had the people gathered together at Jerusalem. So what they did was, is because the people weren't gathering and there wasn't enough priests to keep up with just the remnant that was there. It says they sent out runners. And they sent out runners that were single in heart that had one message, return to the Lord. And the runners went out all throughout the city and city and city and city. And they said, come to Jerusalem. We are going to keep the feasts. We are going to keep the burnt offerings. We're going to keep Passover. Come, return to Jerusalem and return to the Lord. And it says that they were mocked, that they were made fun of. But their message and their singleness of heart didn't change because of persecution. 
And it says, not everyone responded to them, but a remnant came. Do we have a remnant tonight? A remnant came to Jerusalem. And so when the remnant shows up to Jerusalem, it says this, verse, starting verse 13. Now many people, a very great assembly, gathered in Jerusalem to keep the feast of Passover one month after the intended time. They arose and they took away the altars that were in Jerusalem and they took away all the incense and cast them into the brook. Then they slaughtered all the Passover lambs on the 14th day on the second month and the priests and the Levites were ashamed. Listen to this. They were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought the burnt offerings to the house of the Lord. They were ashamed because the people were doing their job. Just stay with me. We're going somewhere. For a multitude of the people, many of them came, but Hezekiah, and listen, they began to do it themselves. All of the people are going, listen, there's not enough priests. They're, they're taking too long because they're not pure enough. So the people began to do the work. The priests are ashamed because the people are doing the work that they're supposed to do. And Hezekiah gets concerned because it's unlawful. So Hezekiah begins to pray. It says, says in verse, starting in verse nine, or 18, but Hezekiah prayed for them saying, may the good Lord provide atonement for everyone who prepares his heart to seek God. In other words, Lord, they're just wanting to seek you. They're dirty. They haven't been anointed to do this. They have, they're not doing this lawfully, but Lord, they just want to seek you. God responds to Hezekiah and it says he healed the people. Then in verse 27, I'm ending here. The priests and the Levites arose, blessed the people. Their voice was heard and their prayer came up to his holy place. So really quick, I just want to go through this. He reminded God of David. This is Hezekiah. He was anointed to clean out the debris of the holy place, which is anything we've added to it. He made a fresh covenant with the Lord. He restored worship. The people started doing their sacrifices and offerings, but there wasn't enough priests to keep up. They decided to keep the feast of Passover, but they had to delay a month. Why? Because there wasn't enough pure priests purifying themselves quick enough. They sent runners who were single in heart with one message, returned to the Lord. They invited everyone to Jerusalem, but they were mocked, made fun of, persecuted, but a remnant came. There were so many people and so little priests that the people began to handle the sacrifices, do it themselves because the priests were taking too long. And it says the priests became ashamed because they were watching the people do what they were supposed to do. However, the people doing their job was unlawful, but Hezekiah prayed for them basically saying, Lord, all they want to do is seek you even though it's not according to the law and God heard. Now I believe that God heard because God honors hunger and desire above Good behavior. Behavior modification is not transformation. God has to crucify you. God wants to actually take away the temptation of sin from you completely. Where nothing about you is of the old. Nothing whatsoever. Romans 6, you read it over and over again. It's six times in Romans 6. You have been set free from sin. Then we get to Romans 7. Now, how many of you know Romans wasn't written in chapters? It was a letter. You get to Romans 7, and Paul begins to say to those who are under the law, here's what it's like. What you will to do, you can't do. What you want to do, you don't know how to do. And it's confusing under the law, but the law was a tutor. 
it says. The law was put in place to show you that 613 laws and 10 commandments would be impossible to follow and you would have to come to the point of, I have a need for a savior. It's like Jesus put it there to go, this is going to expose their need for me and my mercy and they're gonna realize that only by the way of mercy, that only by the way of grace can they enter in. And it's not a license to sin, but it's gonna make them like me. Then you get to Romans 8, and I love the Passion Translation. Romans 7, you're confused under the law. Romans 8, it comes in, and I love the Passion. says, so now the case is closed. And there remains no accusing voice of condemnation. I love using this example. My little four-year-old, four-year-old son here, you know, one day he's going to go to school. And I often thought of, you know, like I, I heard an example like this. Imagine my son goes to school. And a teacher comes up to my son every day and just tells my son how worthless he is. You're never going to amount to anything. You're never going to be enough. Don't listen to the good things your father and mother said. It doesn't matter. You're never going to amount to anything. What would I do as a dad? I would have to tell Todd I got to take my pastor's hat off. (laughs) He said yeah, yeah. He said, no, 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 just have the son cast the devil out. Uh, and I would, listen, I would go to that school as a father, and I would silence. Listen, I'm short, okay, but I'm, like I said, I'm feisty, although I'm short. I would go upset as a father, and I would silence the voice of the accuser. Then I would spend eternity Telling my boy how worth it he is. And then, and now think about how much this would cause you to ache as a father. Just, just consider this. Imagine all eternity, all you're trying to tell him is that what belongs to me belongs to you. It doesn't matter what they said about you. Here's what I've said about you. It doesn't matter what you believe about you because what the accuser has said. No, no, the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. What's our testimony? Jesus died is your testimony. And came to life and then invited you into that circle. Imagine the agony of a father that all for eternity that son ever said was, I'm just not, they said I wasn't worthy. I'm just not worthy anymore. Like the prodigal son, I think the story should be called the story of the faithful father personally. But the prodigal son is sleeping in a pigsty says, I'm not worthy. After wasting an inheritance, the father's trying to release something generationally that has nothing to do with money. I'm not worthy to be my, my, my father's son anymore, but my, the servants in his house live better. So here's what I'll do. I'm going to write out this religious thing, and, and here's, I'll go to him, and I'll say, I've wasted everything you gave me, but I'm, I'm not worthy to be your son anymore, but if you just let me be a servant in your house, please. Father's waiting for him, sees him afar off. We know the story runs to him, falls on his neck. A violent, affectionate embrace. And what's amazing to me is that the son still says after that, I am not worthy to be your son anymore. In other words, dad, if you would just stop kissing me long enough, I can tell you what I rehearsed that's going to please you. It's not about what you've done. It's about what he's done. I had a pastor one time come to me and say, you can't say that you're not a sinner anymore. It's arrogant. I asked him, what's more arrogant? Looking in the mirror and seeing what you've done or looking in the mirror and seeing what he's done. And the more you see what he's done, the more you're going to walk done. The more you believe that you're a son, 
the more you're going to be a son. So, so get in this mindset of God always had this intended in his heart. He doesn't just start something hoping for the best. No, the God that we serve finishes it and then says begin. It says he knows the end from the beginning. He ordains the steps of the righteous. I mean, God is so good. He'll take your mistakes and he'll wove them together in a perfect masterpiece. And you'll say only by God's mercy. So imagine this, God already being the volume, Jesus Christ, the volume of the book. He's already penned that all, everyone say all, are going to be kings and priests unto God. He's already penned it. boy. Now imagine Hezekiah comes to a father and says, Lord, forgive them. They're doing the work. They're doing it unlawfully. They're doing what the priests are supposed to do but all they're trying to do is seek you. It's like I picture God laughing in this moment saying, wait till they all see that they're kings and priests unto me. Actually, Hezekiah, this has been in my heart from the beginning. And this group of people touched a place in God's heart that had not been touched up to that point. And in this hour, God is purifying his priesthood. Because here's how I grew up. I adore my uncle. He's changed my, like, really impacted my life. I've encountered the Holy Spirit in his meetings like a crazy mess. But what I've watched is I've watched anointed men of God stand up in arenas. And everyone came to that arena because they had a need. And we needed those days. And God anointed those days. And my uncle would wear a white suit and throw it at people and sections would fall over and I've never seen anything like it in my life but what if it was possible that the whole stadium could be anointed what if it was available that the entire arena could walk in power are you guys awake are you okay I promise you're not as sweaty as I am maybe maybe not It rained for 10 minutes. I was excited, and then it just got more humid. Yes, bud. I'm almost done, I promise. God, listen, listen to the prayer of Hezekiah. And he listened to him because they touched this place of mercy in God's heart. So how do we keep the debris out? How much have we added? I feel like the whole theme of what this has been is returning back to an original covenant with the Lord. Like when you first got saved, what did you promise him? And what have we added to our lives that's taken away from that encounter in the holy place? What debris, what what rocks that are blocking the well does God want to release out of your life? What is holding us up? Listen, and what we need is is we need a group of people that even as the priests that we invite everybody in and have an accountability that sounds like this. What happened to that indwelling fire that was within you? See, I remember when we started Resonation and and as amazing as it is of what God's doing, listen, if, if the devil can't get you with sin, he'll try you with success. 
And I have this aim in my heart. I've got this, this aim in my heart as I've watched men like Todd who have walked in purity. That God anoint a generation that never sway to the left or the right. That God anoints a generation that makes a covenant with their eyes and actually conquers sin to the point of we're not tempted by it anymore. Because you can't change the world when you look like the world. It's not possible. God is calling us out, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a special treasure unto himself, a peculiar people. There's something different about you. You got a crazy look in your eye. Like a generation, there's just something wild. It's off. It's not of this world. I remember when we started Risen Nation, we would get together like four of us. We would get in a circle and we begin to pray and the wind for us was when he'd come and stand in the middle. The wind is not the stadium, it's did he come? See, I, I often think back, you know, ministry comes in and busyness comes in and all of the stuff that everybody wants to step into and they think, man, these guys are, are running and they're on this some sort of pinnacle. This is not the pinnacle of Christianity. The pinnacle of Christianity, listen, real men don't build ministries, they build altars when no one's watching. You want to talk about the pinnacle of Christianity? Learn how to get God in an empty room. Because empty rooms have changed my life. No one's preaching to me. No one's talking to me. Just building a house with God when no one's watching. And then you begin to grow. And, and when the wind used to be, God, you came into the middle and we cried. We just cried because you were there. 500, 1,000, all these people start coming and money starts coming in. And all these additions to God's presence. And tonight God is asking, what have you added to him? What goes in with you when you go in? Because I promise you, Jesus is absolutely enough. In Luke chapter 8, a woman has an issue of blood. And she comes to Jesus as a last resort, like many do in church today, because we don't see the power we need to see in church, and so they come here when nothing else works. What if we were the first option? But she had nothing else. To, she'd spent all of her money. She had gone to every physician. She didn't know what to do. And even culturally, she had a million reasons why she shouldn't do that. She touches him as hundreds of people are probably touching him. He says, who touched me? Peter, in all of his wisdom, says, Lord, everyone's touching you. What are you talking about? <laughs> and Jesus' response, I love the New Living Translation. It says it like this. He responded and he says, no, who deliberately? touched me see we've built stuff around ourselves so much and 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 i listen this is my testimony revelation chapter two you can do everything right you can dress right you can look right you can sing the right songs at the right time you can get everyone to lift their hands because it's the right song but one thing i have against you you have left your first love I mean, consider 10 virgins, five are wise, five are unwise. The unwise were still beautiful. Looked the part, dressed the part, talked the part, but no oil. I mean, they were even at the right place at the right time. 
and they had no oil. No oil reserves, which is intimacy and proximity being the aim of your life. In Mark chapter 12, a scribe comes to Jesus and he asks him, what is the, what is the most important commandment? Now, you got to understand what a scribe is. A scribe at that time was someone that didn't just like the Pharisees would preach the law. They would do the services, but the scribes would write it. The scribes were the ones that wrote contracts for marriages based on the law. They, they would write the contracts for the divorces based on the law. They would write the contracts for all of the stuff that we needed to do based on the law. They knew the letter better than anybody else. Comes to Jesus and says, what's most important to you? 613 laws. Tell me what's most important. He says, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself for all of it hangs on these two. I love the scribe's response. He says, well said, teacher. And then he goes, so you're telling me to love him. That's what he says. You're telling me to love him is more than all the whole of burnt offerings and sacrifices? Jesus responds and says, you're not far from the kingdom. God is going to clear out debris by way of mercy and rest. Bob Jones prophesied in 2009 that the decade of 2020 to 2030 would be marked as a decade of rest. I find it interesting that 2020 started out with the furthest thing of what the world would say rest is. I love what Sean said. I don't believe God brought COVID, but I think he's so big and so good that he turns all things for good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so God will take an awful thing and he'll turn it into a blessing where I'm going to turn all the lights off. I'm going to turn all the production off. I remember in that season at the church, I said, I said to some of our team, I'm like, we got to start doing, you know, more Facebook lives. We got to start doing more live streams. The Lord said, no, you just want to stay relevant. I sat down. The Lord spoke to me in 2020. He said, I know that you can preach. I know you can worship. I know you can do all these things, but can you sit down? Can you tarry? That word tarry, can you linger with expectation? Can you get off the treadmill of performance because your legs are moving really fast, but you're not getting anywhere? There's an authority that God wants to release the bride, kings and priests that have purified themselves. It's only going to come from a place called seated at a table called fellowship. We're trying to figure out, is this a run? Is this a walk? Is this a marathon or a sprint? I would say, offer this to you. What if it's neither? What if it's a table called fellowship to love him? Really, God, that's it. Just to love him. Just to fully be yours. Is that really it? See, I have a, I have a mission in life that this one Watch me love him more than I love ministry, more than I love church, more than I love what I think I can offer God. And I sit down and God says, I'm going to make a table for you. Can I get the worship team to come back up? There's something that the Lord is doing in this hour where he is purifying us. 
And when it used to be numerical success, like we, we, we're satisfied today with numerical success. And we just want hype meetings that get us going and get us shouting. Satisfied with numerical success, but you see when we started, we dreamed of hospitals being emptied. See, what happened to the days when you would open your Bible and you would just cry and cry reading the same verse? You know, this past two weeks, I, have read, I haven't read anything else other than Mark 12. In two weeks, and all I can read is, and to love him. A scribe, a learned man, one who understood, this is what he came up with. Wait, you're just telling me it's just to love him. Man, that's too simple. I need a deeper revelation. There's no revelation deeper than loving him. He's the beginning and the end. He's the volume of the book. We say, ah, oh, just one door closed, another one opens. No, he is the door. There's no other door. Predestined, chosen in him before the foundation of the world to be conformed, Romans 8, 29, to one thing. Your destiny is one thing. David had this thing that separated him, and it sounded like this, one thing I seek, one thing I desire, not, not the first thing on a list of many things. He was the whole list, one thing I seek and one thing I desire, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Second Samuel 7, he gets God to come into his city, like what's happening here. We've, we've watched God move. This, from the beginning of this whole event, this has been different than last year. This has been different than every year before it because God's beginning to pick up the pace. Like his heart is beginning to move faster and there's no more time to waste. And the priests are gonna be ashamed with the people actually becoming kings and priests unto God. A people that have purified themselves. But David had this desire in his heart that said this, I don't just want you, Lord, to come into my city like he accomplished in 1 Chronicles chapter 15. God, I want to build a house for you. And no one had ever asked that in all generations prior. And it causes this explosive response to come out of God. David, you want to do that for me? I'm going to do that for you. So moved God by this young worshiper that all he wanted was a habitation for the Lord. That God would identify, listen, he closes the book in Revelation 22 as identifying David as the root of his son, Jesus Christ. David in heavens, in the heavenlies right now, just lifting worship and leading worship will forever be known as the root. The one that Jesus Christ came out of that line because that one man found the right thing in God's heart. He didn't have it all morally figured out. Do we value moral character? Of course we do. But this man committed adultery, but he had found this secret to God's heart. And it was, Lord, I want to build a house for you. Generations would go by. Can you begin to play? Generations would go by. The children of Israel kept falling off, falling off, falling off. And David would be generationally, I mean, long gone. And God would say, but because of my servant, David.
I'm speaking to pastors and leaders. There's a name more significant than yours. There's a circle more significant than yours. The early Greek fathers would call it perichoresis, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It was how they described that mutual indwelling derived from Greek weddings where they would do a circle dance. That's what they used to say before Trinity. They would say perichoresis. The circle dance of mutual indwelling between God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus didn't just come and die because you were some disgusting sinner. No, he died because you were precious enough to be invited back into that circle. And revival is not people seeing how filthy they are. It's people seeing how precious they are. And God is raising fathers and mothers in this hour that maybe no one will ever know. Jesus lives in obscurity for 30 years, and for three years he has a ministry. Today we want 30 years of ministry and three years of obscurity. Jesus does it backwards. He gets baptized, comes up out of the water. And before he ever did anything for his father, the father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He hadn't done anything yet. He was just a son. It doesn't matter what you've accomplished. You're not going to stand before him and him count your numbers. It's just not going to happen. He's going to look for himself. It says many will stand before him on that day and say, Lord, Lord, look at all these things we've done in your name. We've cast out devils. We've healed the sick. And he say, but I don't know who you are. The Lord wants us to return to original passion tonight, original covenant. This is not just about a tent meeting. God is saying, you are my everlasting habitation. And you're worthy enough for me to find rest in you. And I'm telling you, when we find this place called seated, we're going to find the secret to righteousness. We're going to find the secret to holiness. We're going to find the secret to raising the dead because you've never healed anybody. You've never gotten a word of knowledge that came from your knowledge. John G. Lake would say, I have one hand on the sick and one hand on the throne. He simply comes through your hand. You're a vessel, a cup with really good water in it. The Lord wants to purify hearts and remove debris. It's what I felt the minute Sean started preaching, the busyness, all of the stuff we've got to do. There's only one thing. See, David found that secret of the one thing. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our GGG event recording. To get involved with our growing community or connect with us, reach out to us on our website, gggministry.com, or any of our other social media platforms. It's been an honor serving you all, and I pray a blessing and favor over all of you and your families. And remember, we love you more.